continue in our series in Matthew. It's been a real joy to teach Matthew because I've never taught this book before. And I've taught a lot of books in, in the President's class that I've never taught before. And so uh, this is a time for me to grow and to learn just as uh, you learn each week. And Matthew's Gospel is a very interesting Gospel. What we've seen in chapters 3 and 4 is that to prepare Jesus for his public ministry, God has to do a couple things. And the first thing involves Jesus being baptized. And when he's baptized, heaven opens and the Spirit of God comes and uh, anoints Jesus for this public ministry, empowers him for the public ministry. And God's voice comes out of heaven and says, uh, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, that phrase, Son, Son of God, uh, can take has two meanings. Uh, one, it can mean that he's the second member of the Trinity. We know that means Son of God, but that's not the case here. When he says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, that's a declaration that God made whenever a king of Israel was anointed. The king was adopted as God's earthly son, and thus represented God to the people. He spoke on behalf of God. He was authorized speak on behalf of God. And in that sense, he's declaring that Jesus is the true king of Israel. Uh, not Herod, uh, but Jesus. And then the second thing that had to happen before Jesus launched his public ministry is he had to test him. Uh, what kind of a king is he going to be? And so the Spirit of God drives Jesus out into the wilderness where he's tested. Will it be a person who lives by faith, trusting in his Father to guide him every step of the way, or will he act presumptuously? Uh, will he try to take a shortcut to the kingdom uh, rather than just wait and allow God's kingdom to arrive in his time? So now we come to a third thing that must happen before Jesus launches his public ministry, and that's found in verse 12. So look at verse 12. This is very interesting. This is Matthew 4.12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed for Galilee. So before Jesus launches his ministry, John is placed in prison, and that causes Jesus to uh, move northward into Galilee, and from Galilee he's going to launch his ministry. Uh, John's arrest is the signal that it's time for Jesus to go out and preach. John's arrest is the signal that Jesus is to go out and pray. And when he hears that John's arrested, he immediately heads north into Galilee. Now remember where he was. He was in the Jordan area where he was baptized out in the wilderness. And he must have been hanging around that area. He may have even gone to Jerusalem for a while. But what he does is he goes into Galilee. Now remember, his hometown is Nazareth. Remember after he was born, and they, Joseph and Mary and Jesus escaped to Egypt, and then they start coming back to Jerusalem. But they know there's danger, so they go up to Nazareth, and that's where Jesus is reared. And I believe that he goes to Nazareth, and he stays there for a period of time. We don't know how long, but we know something happens. He actually uh, leaves Nazareth. Because look what it says in verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, 
He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali. So what he does is he moves eastward and he settles in Capernaum, which is a city of 15,000 people. And he's going to launch his ministry from Capernaum. It's going to become the headquarters for his ministry. Now the fact that he leaves Nazareth and he goes to Capernaum means something. It means he's leaving his family behind. And for an older son, the oldest son, to abandon his widowed mother has ramifications. And you can see why his younger brothers would have been jealous that this older brother who's supposed to take care of the mother is leaving and he's moving to a neighboring town. And he goes to Capernaum, which you see, if you look at the word Capernaum, you see that uh, you see the word Nahum in there. And it means the village of Nahum. Remember Nahum the prophet? This is probably where he lived. And Jesus is going to launch his ministry from this city or village of Nahum or Capernaum. And uh, that's where it says in verse 13 that back in Old Testament times, the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali had settled there. And he goes to Capernaum. Look at verse 14. Look at the reason. That, or so that, or in order that, it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Jesus moved. Jesus moved into Capernaum, into this region, is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now how many times have we seen that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy so far in Matthew's Gospel? I think six or seven times already. So, get the picture. Jesus is south, in the south. He hears that John the Baptist is arrested. He moves to the north, stops by Nazareth for a while, tells his mom and his brothers and sisters he's moving, goes over to Capernaum, where the Old Testament tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali uh, had territory, and all this is a fulfillment of a prophecy given by Isaiah. Now, that means that Jesus, very interesting when you think about Jesus, he's from the tribe of Judah, isn't he? The tribe of Judah is in the south. Remember when the Jewish nation was divided in two between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom? Two tribes were in the south. Benjamin, which is the tribe from which the Apostle Paul came, and Judah. Judah is a southern tribe. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So he has a connection with the south. But when he launches his ministry... He goes north. And so here, what I think Matthew is trying to tell us is that the Messiah is going to be the Messiah of the whole nation. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so they're all to look for the Messiah. Now look what Isaiah says uh, in his prophecy in verses 15 and 16. He says, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali by the way or the route or the, the road, the highway, of the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles 
That's where Jesus goes. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. Now, when Isaiah gives that prophecy, which is in Isaiah chapter 9, something has happened. But you need to understand what's happened in order to understand the fulfillment. Isaiah is prophesying, and what has happened is that the evil empire, the Assyrian empire, whose capital was, anybody know the capital of the Assyrian empire? Nineveh. The evil empire, Assyria, has come down into the northern kingdom, has conquered the northern kingdom, and has uh, put the people, the citizens, God's people, into captivity. So they're in captivity. There's this evil Gentile empire. And while they're in captivity, Isaiah the prophet has a prophecy. And here's what he says. Look what he says. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people sat in darkness. That's what was happening, is that the people were in darkness. The Jewish people, they've been captured. Now look what happens. They've seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region, and the shadow of death, the light is dawned. So, He's talking about a time when God is going to liberate the northern kingdom. Now, I want you to notice there are two groups mentioned here. At the end of verse 15, you see Gentiles. When Matthew writes his gospel, this region is populated one half by Gentiles and one half by Jewish. Now, look at the next phrase in verse 16. Look at those first two words. The people. Do you see that phrase? The people. It's a phrase that always refers to the Jewish people. They're called the people. Okay? Now notice what it says about the Jews, the people. These are the ones who have been captured by the Assyrians. Look what it says. It says, they sat in darkness. In other words, God's people are in gloom and despair as they are in captivity. They've been captured, and you know what it would be like to be in prison and captured and, you know, under oppression? You'd be in gloomy and you'd be in despair. But the prophet says, in verse 16, these same people have seen a great light. They've seen, look, when you're in despair, you know what you're always hunting for? You're hunting for the light at the end of the tunnel. Boy, you say, how am I ever going to graduate? How am I ever going to get out of this situation? And suddenly, guess what? you see a light at the end of the tunnel. And that light at the end of the tunnel gives you something. Hope. And that's what he's talking about. He says, yes, you are, you are in captivity, but there's hope. Now what Matthew says, he brings it up to the present time. And he says, Jesus has fulfilled this prophecy for his people. Jesus is the light that brings hope to the people of Israel. Are they still in captivity? Yeah, who's oppressing them now? Rome. So he's using this 
Old Testament scripture that talked about Israel in captivity says, and guess what? Yes, just as there was hope for Israel of old, there's an ultimate hope for God's people. And that hope is Jesus. And when he comes, and he has come, and as a result of that, he's the light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope. There is a new day dawning. The darkness is going to flee. So, now with that, Jesus launches his public ministry. Look at verse 17. From that time, from what time? From the time he moved up into Capernaum. From the time that John was in jail. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, does that sound familiar, that phrase? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes, if you look back at verse 2 of chapter 3, look what John the Baptist was doing. Look at that. Chapter 3 and verse 2. In fact, you can look at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What was he saying? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see that in verse 2? Matthew 3, 2? Who preached that message there? John the Baptist. Now look at 4.17. From that time, John's arrest, Jesus began to preach. And he said, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is there any difference between that message? They are exactly the same. They preached identical messages. Okay? They preached that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within your grasp. It's within reach. It's near. So close that you can reach out and you can touch it. Okay? God, he's saying, is about to break in and he's going to manifest his rule in some way. He's going to set people free. He's going to manifest his kingdom. Therefore, you need to do something. In light of the fact that the kingdom of God is at hand, what do you have to do? Repent. You have to reorient your life. Rearrange your priorities. So when the kingdom arrives, you're ready for it. So the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what we're going to see is that the kingdom of God arrives in the ministry of Jesus. God breaks in time in the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to see people set free. Set free from all kinds of things. Set free from demons. Set free free from sickness. Set free from mental illness. He's going to set these people free. And ultimately, he'll set them free spiritually. uh, And also physically from Rome. Now look at this calling of the apostles in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets, and they followed him. Now here, what happens is that Jesus is now launching, he starts to preach. That's a summary statement. He goes out and he preaches the gospel kingdom. Comes by a lake, Sea of Galilee, 13 miles uh, North to south, eight miles east to west. Not a real large lake by lake standards. We have lakes that large here in in Texas. And uh, he sees a couple fishermen. This is how they're making their living. They make their living on the sea. Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother. They were fishermen. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus 
met these guys. What we often think, and it's a mistake, is that Jesus is walking by the sea, and he sees these two fishermen, and he says, Hey, come and follow me. They're, oh, yeah, come on, just drop everything and follow me. He's met these guys before. You remember in the John's Gospel, uh, Jesus has been baptized, and uh, John points out, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Remember that? John's not in prison then when he says that. And remember, they, uh, who was it? Uh, Philip or Andrew comes and he finds uh, Nathaniel or somebody under the tree. And he said, We found him who's called the Messiah. And, and he said, Where is he from? He said, What? Nazareth. And he said, See, they, they, they knew Jesus before this. Jesus isn't in Nazareth anymore, is he? No, he's in Capernaum. That's where he's headquarters. They knew him before. They recognized him for who he was before. Uh, they kept their jobs. Uh, they uh, probably were part-time followers of Jesus. They were probably John's disciples to begin with. John points to Jesus. They start following him a little bit, but they're keeping their jobs. But Jesus says, there's going to come a day when I'm going to stop by. When I say, come, you need to be ready to drop everything and follow me. And this is the day. So it's not like he just says, come and, come and It's not an abrupt just dropping everything. There's an anticipation. Does that make sense? So I think once you understand that, you'll see what's really happening here. They know who he is. And when he says in verse 19, I'll make you fishers of men, that means uh, you'll be going out and bringing others into the kingdom. You'll be making disciples. You'll be bringing others under my leadership. And then it says in verse 21, going from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. And we know that uh, in the Gospel of John they're called sons of thunder. Uh, in the boat was Zebedee their father mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. Uh, no excuses, no delays. Uh, probably realize who Jesus is. Probably his follower. And now it's time for them to go and they go. And it says, number one, they leave their business, and they leave their family. So there's a cost involved to be a full-time follower of Jesus like these apostles were. This is downward economic mobility. That's what it is, isn't it? Because they're giving up a business. And this is severing the relationship with your family. And they are now called to follow Jesus, and they're going to become part of his family. He's developing a new family, the family of God. And uh, they are going to walk with him and trust God to take care of all their needs, not their business enterprises any longer. So these are people who are called to full-time ministry, and they are to walk by faith. Now we get the details of the ministry. Now look at verse 23, where we start getting this particulars. <clears throat> As Jesus went about all of Galilee, and Galilee was a province, that's equal to, our, to a state in the United States. Texas would have been a, uh, is equal to a province. You know, in Canada, they have provinces, don't they? The Quebec province, and in that province, there are a lot of cities. Just like in the state of Texas, there are a lot of cities. So Jesus is going throughout that whole region from city to city, and he's teaching in their synagogues. Notice he's using the existing institutions. He's not a, just a freelancer. 
According to Jewish law, when you went to a synagogue, if you were a male over 13 years of age and the scripture was read, they would say, is there anybody here who would like to make a comment on the scriptures? And Jesus would stand up and he would then make comments on the scriptures. So he was teaching in their synagogue. Teaching what? Teaching what the Old Testament really meant. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The good news that the kingdom is at hand. And, look at this, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. Now this healing ministry that Jesus had was a sign or an evidence that the kingdom had arrived. Sign or evidence that the kingdom had arrived. He preached the kingdom, means he declared the kingdom, but then he also demonstrated the kingdom through the power that he had from the Spirit. And his healing ministry was a demonstration that the kingdom had arrived. So, when we say the kingdom was at hand, listen to this very carefully. He says the kingdom is at hand. That means it's about to break in. The kingdom is imminent. It's imminent. I-M-M-I-N. Imminent. But once he launches out and he starts demonstrating the kingdom, then the kingdom is imminent. I-M-M-A-N. That the imminence of God, the presence of God, just breaks into time and God's power is demonstrated through the ministry of Jesus Christ. So the kingdom is not only at hand regarding time, it's not only imminent, it's here, time-wise, but now it breaks in and his presence is imminent. It is uh, being manifested. And notice it says he heals all kinds of illnesses and disease, or sicknesses and disease. The disease there is talking more about the pain, painful uh, aspects of sickness. You can be sick and not be in pain, but he healed all kinds of chronic pains and all kinds of sicknesses. Look at the results. Then, verse 24, then his fame went throughout all of where? Now, why is that important? Why would Matthew put in here that his fame went throughout all of Syria? See if you were here from the beginning, you see if you remember. Because the people that Matthew is writing to (laughs) are located in Syria. And he mentions that particularly. That, hey, when Jesus ministered 40 or 50 years ago, he was famous in this region of Syria. Now remember what's happening to Matthew's readers. They are being persecuted for their faith. Many Jewish Pharisees that are trying to move them back into Judaism totally and reject Jesus as the Messiah. And he says, there was a time when Jesus' fame spread throughout your region. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. And then look what it says in verse 24. Matthew 4, 24. And, as a result, they brought him to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed. So they brought him people who were ill, and people who were controlled by evil entities, demon-possessed. Epileptics. Some Bible says those who are having seizures. Uh, very interesting that 
The word actually means those who were moonstruck. That's what the Greek word is, moonstruck. <laughs> so uh, what does that mean? I guess when the moon comes out, you know, more babies are born, aren't they? You know, all kinds of crazy things happen. Uh, maybe people who are moonstruck, it's talking, maybe it's just talking about psychological, uh, physical uh, illnesses that are caused by uh, psychological factors. Lunatics type. Uh, epileptics is probably not a good uh, translation. That's not like epilepsy today. It's probably not that kind. People who were moonstruck, who were affected by the moon. Uh, maybe superstitious people who thought they were sick. Who knows what the situation is. And paralytics, people who were immobile. And he healed them. Now notice, he not only preached to them. This is very important. He not only preached to them, he was concerned with their physical needs. He not only preached to them, he was concerned with their psychological needs. It's important that you get this. Uh, he gives a lot of attention to that. And that is the evidence that the kingdom has arrived, it says. Now look at verse 25. Great multitudes followed him. From Galilee, that's the province. From Decapolis, that's a ten-city region around the lake. Jerusalem in the south, that's how far the word had spread, all the way down to the south. They came up to find out what was going on and began to follow him. Notice that word, follow him. Have we seen follow him before? Yes, we saw that with the disciples. They were following him for good. Uh, these people were probably coming up and following him out of curiosity. Judea, that's the province in the south. The, Jerusalem is the city in the south. Judea is the state of the province in which Jerusalem is located. And even beyond the Jordan. Now, what is Matthew really saying? Well, if you would look at those territories, you would realize he's saying, he's describing the land of the Bible. He's saying, all of Palestine, everywhere the Jews lived, they were all following him. This was, uh, so for the disciples in Matthew's day, he says, people are trying to get you in. There was a time when people flocked to Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Now, let me give you, a, since we've read that little section right there, let me give you a few little lessons that I think are very germane to what we want to say. Okay? The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus had a threefold ministry. And this is very important. He had a preaching ministry, and what he preached was the kingdom of God is at hand. And it is broken in. Okay? That's the good news. The gospel of the kingdom. The good news that the kingdom has arrived. The light. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're getting out of this thing. Okay? Second ministry was teaching. He would take a text of scripture that was read in the synagogue and he would explain it correctly. He would explain it correctly. He gave them an understanding of the Old Testament. And then the third thing he did is he healed. He dealt with sickness. He dealt with pain. He dealt with illness. And this was a mark that the kingdom had arrived. Now I want to make a bold statement here. And I think that since I've been around for 10 years, you'll pretty much accept it. 
Some of you. We should be involved in all three of these areas. We should be preaching the gospel, giving people hope. We should be teaching like I'm doing today and trying to explain the text. But we should also be involved in people's physical needs. Now that's just the truth of the matter. And most people, most churches aren't involved in those three areas. They're involved in one or two. Some are even involved in physical needs and they're not involved in preaching the gospel. There are liberal churches that are involved in meeting people's physical needs, but they don't preach the gospel. It's very rare that you find a church that is involved in all three of these areas. Now let me make a statement regarding physical needs. We should be seeing people healed in the church. You say, well, why is that? Well, number one is that the kingdom has arrived in some way, and that's a sign that the kingdom has arrived. In the future kingdom, when it arrives in its fullest, will there be anybody that's sick? No. Well, guess what? It's arrived in part, and we should occasionally see somebody healed. Now, that's not a wild statement. In fact, I want to turn you to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. I want to show you something before I close this out. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And look at when God formed Israel, after he brings them out of Egypt and he forms them into a nation, he tells them something. He says, you're my kingdom. Israel was the kingdom of God on earth at that time. And uh, he planned to do a lot of great things for Israel. But they weren't obedient. But look what he said in verse 12. This is Deuteronomy 7, 12. Then it came to pass because... Then it shall come to pass because you listen to these judgments and you keep and you do them that the Lord your God will keep you with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. So if you're obedient, don't have to worry about anything. God's going to take care of you. You'll never have to worry about a thing. All you have to do as a nation is be obedient. He will love you, verse 13. He'll bless you and he'll multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land. Look at that. Your grain, your new wine, your oil. He'll increase your cattle. Sounds like economics, doesn't it, for these people who are farmers. The offspring of your flock, you'll have more cows next year than this year. In the land which he swore to you and your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed, look at this, above all peoples. This is God's plan for Israel. You'll be blessed above all the peoples. There shall not be a male or a female barren among you or among your livestock. Now look at verse 15. And the Lord will take away from you what? All sickness. You see that? That was God's plan for Israel. And he will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you've known, but he will lay them on those who hate you. Now this was God's plan for Israel, if they were obedient. Were they obedient? No. <laughs> but guess what? That is his plan for his people. Now we have the church representing the kingdom of God on earth, and God has a plan for us. He wants us to be healthy. I'm convinced of that. That's what he wants. And he wants us to be involved, and not everybody is healthy, and he wants us to be involved 
in a physical ministry. Okay? I don't think he wants less for the church than he wanted for Israel. Do you think he wanted more for Israel than he does for the church? Doesn't make sense, does it? That was the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. Shouldn't we have at least that much? So we should be involved in preaching. We should be involved in teaching. We should be involved in meeting people's physical needs as the church. And we can meet them supernaturally by praying for their needs. And God can bless somebody with money that they need to pay a bill. God can heal their bodies. Whatever the physical need is, God can do it supernaturally through us. He did that through Jesus supernaturally. But also naturally. We're the body of Christ. Are we the body of Christ? I don't see Jesus walking here. He said, I've left the body on earth. You are the body of Christ. We are the hands of God extended. And it's through our efforts, our natural efforts, that God, in many ways, answers prayers. <laughs> we say, Lord, give Joe the $100 he needs to buy the new tires. And guess what? Somebody else in the class says, I can buy those tires for Joe. Reaches into his pocket, puts the $100. Has God just answered that prayer? Is it supernatural and natural at the same time? So, we should be involved in healing ministries and meeting people's physical needs. You know, That's why bringing the cans and putting our dollars in just to meet some people's physical needs. That's what God expects of us. This isn't something, this isn't a burden. Have you been reading Sandy Keaton's emails? What God's been doing? Unbelievable what God's been doing through the ministry of this class. This is a sign that we are kingdom citizens. If we leave one of those three areas off, preaching, teaching, or meeting people's physical needs, then we are not demonstrating the kingdom of God to those people around us. So, for Isaiah's people, he says, a light is shining. There's hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. You won't be under Assyrian bondage forever. For Matthew's readers, who are up in Syria and taking flack from every side, he says, hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's hope for you. Don't cave in. And guess what? For us, he says the same thing. He says, you might be in a dark place right now, and it may look like things can't get any darker. But do you see it? Look at that speck in the distance. What is it? It's a light. Look, it's getting bigger. It's getting brighter. There's light at the end of the tunnel for us. Help us on the way. The worst is over. The best is yet to come. Hey, we need to get our eyes focused on what kind of ministry Jesus had. It was a kingdom-oriented ministry. And that's the ministry he calls us to participate in. And when we do, there'll be no one in this class that's totally in darkness. Because there'll always be light at the end of the tunnel. There'll always be hope. Because we're the kingdom of God in this class. We're the kingdom of God, representing God's kingdom on earth. We're the ones who can bring hope to the people who are in darkness. So we'll stop there, and next week we pick up with the Beatitudes. Let's pray. Lord, help us to manifest the kingdom of God. Help us not just to say the kingdom of God is at hand, 
but help us to manifest it through meeting people's physical and spiritual and psychological needs. Oh Lord, we can do it. There's nothing that we can't do as a class. There's no problem that cannot be solved. Except when you decide to take someone up, which is totally beyond our, our ability to stop. That's your will. But Lord, we know that your will for us is to be blessed. We know that your will for us is to be healthy. We know your will for us is to do more than survive. But to keep our eyes on you, be people of faith. And we know, Lord, that you've put the means within this class, within our body right here, to solve just about any problem that we face. Oh, Lord, help us to be kingdom citizens. Help us to demonstrate and manifest the kingdom on earth. In Christ's name we pray.